The title of this message is Seek and Be Found. There's a familiar character, especially with children, uh, with the theme of children in mind, that they were just up here, that uh, uh, of Zacchaeus. And uh, I know that there's, I can still remember the old songs from my, uh, from my way early days on um, uh, about Zacchaeus. Now, one thing you may have to bear with me, and I really took time uh, to practice this, but uh, you know I'm from Burke County. And uh, I've always called him Zacchaeus, you know, like the sun kiss. But then Christy informed me that that's not the way that you say it. And so I've practiced hard uh, to get the, the saying right. But uh, moving right in, <clears throat> the, the setting for tonight's message, um, Jesus is on his continued journey to Jerusalem. Um, he's just entering Jericho, which will be the last major city that he will enter before moving on, before arriving at Jerusalem. Um, Jesus has been trying to explain to his followers the events that's getting ready to take place. Um, he kind of wants them to have a forehand, foreknowledge of what's going to happen once he gets, what the prophets uh, have prophesied about um, uh, for years before. He's trying to let that kind of be of a... Uh, so it doesn't catch them such off guard. Um, the disciples, uh, as we learned, didn't really grasp what he was saying. In Luke 18, 31 through 33... It says, Then he took the twelve, and he said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spitted on. And they shall scourge him, and put him to death, and the third day he shall rise again. So he's given them a foretaste of what's coming once they, once they reach Jerusalem. Right now they're about 17 miles outside of the city of Jerusalem where Jericho is located at. Um, in a commentary by Warren uh, uh, Worsby, um, he's a great author, profound teacher, um, a mentor in the, in the Word of God, and I was able to get one of his uh, study guides to, to kind of help me as I put this together. There'll be a couple references come from that tonight, and I want to make sure that I give the reference due to that, but uh, it's just too good of a document not to, uh, it's just too good not to share. Um, he said when Christopher Columbus made his uh, voyage west in 1492, he kept two logs books, one which contained falsified information. He wanted, to keep, he wanted his men to believe that, the, that, the closer, that they were closer to land than they really were. Columbus felt, the mora he felt that the morale of the crew was more important than the integrity of the captain. And, uh, so moving right along into uh, chapter 19. Uh, verse 1 through 10, we'll begin the reading there. And it said, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was of little stature. And he ran before, and he climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up, and he saw him, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste, and he came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he, was, that he was gone to the guest, to guest with a man that was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to his house, for so much as he is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek 
and save that which is lost. Let us pray. Father God, as you guide and you lead into this scripture, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to take the points from this message, Lord, and apply it. And Lord, to our, <coughs> to our modern day, Father, to, to see exactly what Zacchaeus uh, on his road to, to redemption, Lord, and to bring those points alive in us, Lord, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the first question we ask, who is Zacchaeus? Verse 1 through 3, it says, of course, he's passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man which was a chief among the publicans. A chief, he was a chief tax collector. In other words, he was a supervisor over other tax collectors. He was a hated man. All tax collectors of the day were, especially in Israel. He worked under the Roman government and had little accountability to the government. They could set their own standards. They could have their own rules. Um, and they profited off of the people. Uh, therefore, the people of Israel, uh, that's why I say he was not a like character. He said he'd, he sought to see Jesus and who he was. And he could not for the press because he was of little stature. But I skipped one there. It said he was chief among the publicans. And we talked about that, the tax collector. He was rich. And rich implies that he would receive his wealth from cheating others. Remember what Jesus said to the rich young ruler in the previous chapter, 18, verse 25. He said, For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And this is part of what he's referencing to, not that the rich can't get into heaven, but most likely if you were rich, you had become that way because of some immoral or corrupt act. They made huge personal gains at the cost of the taxpayers. Uh, by asking excess of what Rome had required. So if Rome, for instance, has a $200 tax on there, the tax collector could easily ask double, if not triple of that, and there was no accountability. So if you didn't come up with the money, if you didn't have the funds to pay, um, then ultimately you were thrown in jail. Uh, that's why they, there was such a hatred for the, for the, the publicans, for the tax collectors, uh, because they could get away with doing pretty much whatever they could do. But it says there in the latter part of verse 3 that said, and he sought to see Jesus and who he was. And it, perhaps the news had traveled about Jesus, um, possibly heard of Jesus being a friend of sinners. The Bible is not really clear. It doesn't, there's not a, a direct definition that, that describes that. Uh, possibly he was feeling conviction. Um, he could have been curious why the crowd was gathered um, as to what the excitement was about. He had possibly spoken with other tax collectors, uh, like Levi, for instance, who had had a previous encounter with the Lord. Whatever the reason, um, but he was interested. It had his full attention as to why he was. He sought Jesus. It said he was looking for, looking, looking out to try to figure out who he was. The crowd simply means that, um, or the the press simply means a crowd. That there's a crowd gathered around him. Uh, most of the places that's recorded when Jesus would rather have a miracle or an event would unfold, that there would be a crowd gathered around him. Um, of course, he was little of stature, and he was small. He was, he was a small man, and uh, he was short. And uh, if I could compare this to what's going on here in the, in the, the first three verses, um, and I'm going to call him out because he's my friend, but you take a whole gang of Brandon Collins and then you got them all wrapped around then I want you to imagine Keith Rose trying to jump up and see what's on the other side and uh, it's the few chances I'm going to get a shot in on him tonight and, uh, but uh, that's, what it, that's essentially what he's doing he's trying to see what's on the other side 
But it's when we get to verses 4 through 6 that brings out the first points of my message. And there's three tonight that I'd like to pull out and find the truths and how those apply to us. Point number one is the provision. It's found in verses 4 through 6. And it said, He ran before, and he climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at your house. It said he ran. For a person like Zacchaeus, running would not have come without humility. He didn't have a reason to run. As stated before, he was rich. He had power. He had control. He wouldn't have had simply a reason to run. In comparison to something that we can associate with in today's time, he's like that person. And when I say that person, we all know that person that he's got visualized with me here for a minute. He's got the polished up and the shining sports car. All right, He's got the $1,000 suit and the spit sign shoes. He's got the collar turned up on his shirt. He's got the sunglasses that are five times bigger than his head. And he's got the swagger in his steps. You can even see him clicking the remote over his shoulder to set his alarm on his car that he just parked in a handicapped spot so he wouldn't have to walk so far. This is the kind of uh, personality that a, that a tax collector, someone that was rich, would have portrayed. Um, but despite the crowd's opinion, he was going to make sure that he put himself in a position to see Jesus. And it says that he ran before and he climbed up a sycamore tree to see him. Verse 4. The tree that is referenced in the scripture would probably not be the type of sycamore tree that we're familiar with. Uh, a typical American or, I'm sorry, American or European sycamore. It would be a close relative to the fig tree or the mulberry tree. These are well known throughout the Middle East, especially in Egypt and Israel. It would take several years to reach a size large enough to climb. It had a very extensive root system, and it can live for several hundred years. Um, they can grow 30 to 40 feet tall, have low spreading branches, and of course that would make they were they were found by roadsides. It made them easy to climb. So if we read through this quickly. The tree does not get that much thought, but it's the tree in this story that plays the prominent role in Zacchaeus' salvation. God had put this tree in Zacchaeus' life many years before he had or he would know about Jesus. The tree put Zacchaeus in a place where he could see Jesus, but it also put Zacchaeus in a place where he could be seen by Jesus. In Matthew 18, verse 3 and 4, it says... Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Also again in Luke 18 verse 17, Verily I say to you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, shall in no wise enter in. And no doubt this was a humbling act uh, for a chief tax collector running alongside of a crowd, just trying to get a look, climbing a tree and hanging on. You can visualize his large robe hanging off of the tree that he's climbed up just to, just to try to get a glimpse of who Jesus was. He put everything else, Zacchaeus put everything else aside. His pride, his character, his popularity, his authority, and to everything that he had to see Jesus. Verse 5 states, and when he, Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him. And he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and he came down and received him. 
Jesus said unto him, Zacchaeus. He called him by name. We just learned in, in, as we read in verse 3 that he wanted to know who he was. So he obviously didn't have a relationship with him earlier, had never met him. He wanted to see who he was. And he called him by name. The entire passage shows evidence of this being a divine appointment in Zacchaeus' life, orchestrated by God himself. You know, he made haste, it says. He wasted no time coming down. And he received him joyfully. He welcomed him in so he could abide in his house. Jesus has invited himself over. Zacchaeus just made, he just became a guest in his own house. Jesus invited himself into his house and was received with joy. Now think for a minute on your own, who is someone famous that you would really like to meet? Um, whether it's a, if it's an athlete, if it, maybe it's a, a movie star, someone highly regarded, uh, someone you're pretty sure that wouldn't know your name or for that point wouldn't even know you existed. Now think about meeting that person face to face and they already know your name, much less ask if they can come to your house. You can imagine the feeling that Zacchaeus has at this point. He started out just after a glimpse. What he received was a whole lot more. And Zacchaeus thought that he was seeking Jesus, but it was Jesus who in turn was seeking him. Again, another quote by Warren Worsby writes in a commentary, he said, In a spiritual sense, we are all a little small in stature, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that's Romans 3.23. So the tragedy is many lost sinners today think they are big. They measure themselves by man's standards. Money, position, authority, popularity. And sadly, we know where that leads. That brings us to our second point. And it's the, uh, it's the point that will come out just about any time that there is work going on for Jesus. It's the opposition. It's found in verse 7, just a single verse. It said, when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was going to be guest with a man that was a sinner. They murmured and meant to complain. They were complaining one to another. The crowd had been following Jesus on his journey to Jerusalem. They were appalled that Jesus would meet with, much less stay overnight with a sinner. The crowd obviously had the mindset that holiness means separating yourself from, from the sinner. It's a sad fact, but any time, like we said earlier, any time the Lord is at work, there's going to be opposition from someone. Everyone is not going to be happy when you fellowship with Jesus, even among the crowds that follow Jesus. A godly person would rejoice to see someone come to repentance, but not everyone in the crowd knows Jesus personally. And sometimes there may be a believer in the crowd that has a hard time seeing repentance come to such a person like Zac Zacchaeus who had profited and had done wrong to other people. You remember Jonah, the story of Jonah. Jonah was a believer. He had been summoned by God to go to Nineveh. We all know we're familiar with that story, the three days the thrown overboard, the three days in the, the fish's belly. Um, but even after the people of Nineveh repented, over 3,000 in, in a single instance, Jonah was still very angry. He said he knew the people... Um, he knew how those people were before, and he did not understand how God could save them, knowing how wicked they had been. For this reason, it may be hard for some to live down their sinful past when the crowds know, or at least know, know your, your old self, or know what you did. So let's be honest for a minute. 
Can we think of someone that has done us wrong? Someone who may have, maybe there aren't words to describe the hurt, the, the feel that, that, that you've received from that person. Um, and if that person came to repentance, would we rejoice in that? Or would we feel the same way as Jonah? If our answer is the latter, it may be our heart that needs to be checked. I'm going to be real honest with you, church. Um, I was faced with this situation close to five years ago. And uh, in my heart, I said, there, there was some people and, and uh, they didn't have good motive for doing what they did, but it, it come at a bad time in our family and it brought hurt. It brought a lot of hurt. And at the time, I had I, perfectly honest says, I wonder if, I wondered if, I, if forgiveness would come. But you know, after some deep soul searching, how foolish is it that with Christ's almost dying breath, he looked to the crowd and he said in Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now how am I going to hold something against someone when the very person that drove the nails in Christ's hands and Christ's feet he had already asked forgiveness for them before the Father. The main thought behind the second point is to never let a grumbling crowd interrupt your trance to get him to know Jesus. That brings us into our third point. And it's the point that we've been waiting for. It's the point that brings it all together. It's the redemption. It's found in verses 8 through 10. And it says, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day salvation come to his house for so much as he also is the son of Abraham. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, It was in this instance that Zacchaeus received salvation. The Lord never asked Zacchaeus to do anything. He had repented before the Lord had commanded anything. He said, The half of my goods I will give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Half my goods show proof of his repentance. Under the Mosaic, <clears throat> Mosaic law, if a thief voluntarily confessed his crime, he had to restore what he took. Um, he had to restore what he took, add one-fifth to it, and bring a trespass offering to the Lord. That's found in Leviticus 6, verses 1 through 7. If he stole something he could not restore, he had to repay fourfold. And if he was caught with the goods, he had to pay double. It was a hard time for a thief if he got caught. But if you'll note, Zacchaeus didn't hesitate to restore what was rightfully gained. He offered without hesitation to repay his wrongdoing at the highest price. Zacchaeus' heart had truly been changed. In verse 9 it said, And Jesus said unto him, This day, and Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to the house, for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. Jesus confirms with his own words that Zacchaeus has received true salvation. Verse 10 says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus is come to save to seek and to save those who are lost. 
you remember back in Genesis, when man made as the first sin, when sin entered into the God's perfect creation, Adam and Eve didn't go to confess their sins to God. What did they do? They followed their human nature. They hid. God came to them to confront them of their sins. This Christ has come to seek and to save. As our Christ has come to seek and save those who are lost. The Christ-centered exposition for the book of Luke sums it up the best. It says that lost people are people that cannot find their way to God because of sin. They have lost their way and they are lost to God. But God sent his son to find them, not only to seek them out, but to rescue them and bring them back safely. In a reflection, the people seen Zacchaeus for a rich tax collector, but God seen him as a rich tax collector, but God seen him as a bankrupt sinner that was in need of salvation. There are no doubts that most of us here tonight at some point in our lives were sought out by God. But I don't know your heart and you don't know mine. That's between you and the Lord. But for Zacchaeus, God used a tree that had been put in place long before the Lord and Zacchaeus had ever met. The tree served as an instrument that met the need of the small statured sinner so that he could meet the face to, he could meet face to face with our mighty God. So in closing, I ask this question. Whose tree are you? If our salvation is accomplished, what about the others that we cross paths with every day? Could it be that God has planted us here to be used as a vessel for someone who he's been seeking out? This simple phrase. I seen it on as I was opening up my Facebook one morning. And this is where the, and I'm sure many of you have seen it alike and it's been around. But long before Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus, the tree was already planted to meet his needs. So I'm asking tonight, church, to evaluate ourselves, to look. Are we that tree? Are we, are we the tree? Are we the vessel that God has planted us in the path of someone at work, at church, at school? Is it us? that can be used to bring salvation unto someone just as the tree was in place long before to set Zacchaeus' salvation right with him. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for taking me, Lord, into this, letting me study, Lord, and just, Lord, giving me the wisdom, uh, Lord, and the words to say. And I pray that you continue to be with us tonight, Lord, each one that are present here. I pray that, Lord, all of us would look to see how we are the tree, God. Where have, you, where have you placed us that we might be a benefit to your kingdom? Father, we love you and we thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.